always awkward when I uh, say good morning and everybody just looks at me. I'm glad to be back. As you know, last week I was away in Alaska, and an awesome trip, totally different than what I'd planned. Um, initially, I was going to this place, it's called uh, 153 Fish Camp, and it's a, um, it's a ministry where they just bring in guys and um, small groups, 12, 15 guys at a time for a week, and have, um, it's basically a fishing camp in Alaska, and then in the evenings we spend time in the Word together, and um, so I was all prepared for that, really excited, and right before we left, the, uh, the director of the camp called me and said, well, everybody canceled because they couldn't get their COVID tests. You can still come if you want to. And um, so it worked out kind of cool. We went up there, and I just did some, um, some um, discipleship kind of stuff with the camp staff and some of the guests around there, and um, man, it was just a fabulous time. Just time to, you know, there was no internet or anything where we were, kind of cut off, you know, time with the Lord. I'm exceedingly tired. Every day we had to get up like four to go fishing, and I thought every day I'm going to take a nap. It never worked out. There was always other fish to catch, you know, and, but just amazing. <clears throat> we were there, and um, the last day we were out fishing Friday, we uh, saw some humpback whales out there breaching, a colony of sea otters, like hundreds and hundreds of them. There's bear walking up the shore. Just amazing. We brought back almost 100 pounds of fish and um, caught king salmon and sockeye and pinks and halibut and cod and piles of crab. It was just an amazing time. But um, uh, right after church. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I smoked a bunch of it while I was up there. They had a smoker. But um, glad to be back. Super excited to be back with you guys. And um, while I was there out in the pouring rain every day fishing and not sleeping, I kind of developed a little cold, and uh, it really hit me first service, so I w- I'm, I'm kind of sauced up on DayQuil right now, so, uh, so hopefully I won't be able to cough as much, but um, we'll see how it goes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we just ask for your presence. We ask for your spirit. I pray that you would just... That you would speak through me, Lord. Lord, we're, um, <clears throat> we're living in crazy times, unprecedented times, really, Lord. And um, we just pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to, to navigate the path that you've laid before us. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we left off two weeks ago, um, Acts chapter 5, looking at Ananias and Sapphira. And we saw how they had conspired together to to lie to the Lord. And remember, we talked about kind of the nature of hypocrisy, trying to present a, a, a spirituality that isn't really there. And we saw through the whole process, the Lord struck them both dead. And as you would imagine, it says that great fear fell upon the whole church. Everybody heard what happened, and, they, and there was a, a fear of the Lord that came over the people. And that's sort of where we pick up the text today here in, in verse 12. And as we pick up the text, Luke here, he gives us a little insight into what's happening in Jerusalem in the early church. And he gives us this little, this little Polaroid of kind of, of, of what was going on in the church's infancy in these first few weeks and months of the church, really. And 
I don't know about you guys, but I, um, I like to be able to break down information. I'm, I'm always asking lots of questions. I like to be able to, you know, to categorize everything and, and, and to kind of put it into little boxes. I'm kind of a, a Tetris kind of thinker, you know. And, and that's just kind of how my mind works. And um, I, I love when I'm flying, I love watching the, the progress tracker, you know, on, on the little screen on the back of your seat showing how far you're going and your airspeed and altitude. And I'm always fooling around with my little car computer looking at the, uh, the fuel economy and I'll, I'll reset it and coast down a hill and see what mileage I'm getting. You know, I'm always messing around with that kind of stuff. It's just kind of kind of the way that my, my brain is wired. And I, I like stuff to be explainable. And that's hard sometimes when it comes to spiritual matters. Because the reality is a lot of spiritual phenomena, they just, they can't be explained. You know, sometimes weird stuff happens. And, and there's no... There's no better way to say it, really, than that. We just can't explain what's going on. Sometimes we just have to accept it. And, and, and we can speculate, but the reality is that God is just bigger than we are. His ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts, and a lot of times we just can't explain what he's doing. It doesn't really make sense to us. And as we get into this passage a little bit, we're going to see that happening. And there are plenty of guys who try to speculate, but it's really just their best guess of what's going on. All that to say that as we get into Acts 5 this morning, I don't know what's going on. Um, we just kind of have to take it at face value and say, okay, Lord, you're God, and you can do whatever you want to. Starting in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. And this verse is really the setup for the rest of the passage. It says that many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. So during this period, there was lots of crazy stuff that was going on. Lots of miracles were taking place. Remember Jesus said earlier in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that when the Holy Spirit came, the church would, <clears throat> they would receive power from on high. And that's definitely what we're seeing unfold here. These miraculous powers that are being displayed by the apostles. But before we get into that, I also want to note that there seemed to be a sense of unity among the believers. They were all gathering together there in Solomon's portico. They were meeting at the temple. They were all meeting together at the place of worship. And even in the face of persecution. And I think that's particularly significant right now. Because we see right now, it's kind of starting in California, there's a lot of churches that are, that are kind of meeting in defiance of the government's orders. Have you guys seen the stuff that's going on in the news? There was one church in particular, um, it's a Calvary Chapel in Ventura County, and they were meeting, and, and the local government, they, um, they put a restraining order on the church. 
And the restraining order was against this Calvary Chapel and against the pastor. And it said, and against John Doe, one to a thousand. Basically meaning everybody that comes to church, there was a restraining order put, them, put against them that they were not allowed to meet at church. And the pastor, he basically said, you know what? Take me to jail. Because we're, we're not stopping. We're not going to stop preaching. And basically, he said this, and you can find the article online. But he said, look, the government is saying that the churches can be open for secular reasons. They can be open to give away food and counseling and that kind of stuff and housing. But they can't be open for religious reasons. And so he said, you know, as long as the government is allowing protests, but they're not allowing worship services, we're not going to comply. He said, we are going to break the law and worship the Lord. And that's sort of a paraphrase, but that's what he said. <clears throat> and I was looking at that, and there is a lot of people, a lot of believers who don't really understand why the church insists on meeting. They don't understand why the church is willing to break the law to come together and worship. They just, they don't get it. And listen, I'm not even making a point here as to whether this church in California is doing the right thing or the wrong thing. That's kind of beside the point that I'm making right now. My point right now is that the world doesn't understand really the compulsion that we as the people of God have to meet together. I mean, that's, that's where, why we're all here right now, right? We, 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 we. We need fellowship, and the world doesn't get that. And I get that there's a lot of people who have legitimate reasons why they can't be here right now in church. Maybe they have health issues, or people that they care for have health issues, or maybe they have jobs where they have to be. I, I understand that there are reasons why some people can't come right now. There's reasons why some people need to be very cautious. I, I, I get that. And I talk to a lot of those peoples, and they, and they, they desperately want to be in fellowship. They just can't. And it's a very hard season for a lot of people. And you remember a couple months ago when the church was shuttered for all those weeks. It was, it was hard on all of us. And we did the best that we could at the time. We, we had online services, and we had Zoom prayer meetings. But it's not the same. Right? It doesn't. Take the place of gathering together as the body of Christ. If it did, none of us would be here. I'd be here with the video camera, and you guys would all be chilling in your underwear on the couch. Right? But, but we need more than that. Viewing online, it, it, it doesn't meet the same needs that corporate worship and prayer and time to gather in the word and fellowship meets. You know, and, and, and we talk all the time about, about the church being a body, how we're all parts of the body. You know, and, and the body, it doesn't work when it's all chopped up into little pieces. A toe here, a hand there, right? We, we have to be together to function and to work properly. And I think this is the reason why the early church were gathering together even in the face of persecution. They recognized that they needed one another. They recognized that the church, they needed to gather together. 
And I think that that's why the underground churches and, and places like China meet together even when it's against the law. They recognize that need for fellowship. And I don't know what the future holds for our country. I don't know what persecution may come. I don't know what could happen. We are in crazy political times. And we are living in a time that is growing increasingly more hostile to the church. And we're seeing the last couple of years this crazy pull towards, towards socialism. It never worked before, but we think it's going to work this time. And, and here's the thing. Historically, socialism and the church, they don't work well together, do they? They don't, they don't click, right? Most countries that have gone the way of socialism have either outright banned the church or seriously infringed and limited their rights to, <coughs> to worship freely. And if that happens here, which is a very real possibility in the future, what do we do? I think, first of all, we continue to worship publicly for as long as we can. And eventually, maybe we have to meet in small groups in secret like so many other believers have throughout history across the world. But we never stop worshiping. We never forsake the gathering together of the saints just because the government says no. Well, what about what's going on right now? Is this COVID-19? Should we stop meeting if we're told to? You know, I... I looked into church history a little bit. I wanted to see kind of what the early church did, the church throughout history, how they reacted when plagues came. And it was super unhelpful because um, there was no consensus, just like there isn't now. Right? There were some people that advocated, you know, working through the plague, being there to minister to people. Other churches said, you know, we want to stay home and, and keep people safe the best that we can. And... Um, you know, there were a lot of beautiful examples of service during those times. There were a lot of believers who, who ministered to the sick and to the dying, to their own peril, even unto their own deaths. And I think that's amazing. That's so honorable. I think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. They, they laid down their life to meet the needs of others. And historically, we saw during that time, <coughs> through the witness of the church, them ministering to believers and unbelievers alike, when that plague ended, so many people were impacted by the gospel that the church just, it blossomed. But what about us now? Should we continue to meet corporately? Well, I'm here. You're here. So obviously we all agree on that, right? That we, that we need to be here right now. What if, it was, what if it was something like the bubonic plague? What if black death was sleeping through? What if, what if 30 to 60% of our population died? I don't know. We'll have to see if that happens. But, but that isn't what's going on now. So should we continue to meet 
if the government says that we have to close our doors again. Now here's where I stand. At the moment, this is where I stand. If the government, whether it's a good policy or not, makes a decision that everybody has to close, just as we saw last time and churches weren't singled out, just general rules for the public, you know, I don't know. I might be a little bit more inclined to comply. However, if the government continues to unfairly target churches, if, if they're allowing mass protests to go on, they're allowing secular gatherings to go on, but not religious gatherings, then no, we're not going to comply. We will continue to worship. And we'll be wise, and we'll wash our hands, and we'll be careful hugging people if they don't want to be hugged. You know, and wear masks if we have to. Whatever. But if the church is being singled out, we are not going to forsake the gathering together of the saints. And I realize that some people might disagree with me here. And I respect that. You're free to disagree. You're free to do as your conscience dictates. And we'll continue to do live broadcasts. But we will be very cautious about closing the church again. Not to say that a situation couldn't come up where the doors have to close, but not without very good reason. And not out of fear of the government. The only reason would be Number one, if the Spirit leads, if there's a legitimate need to protect the body. And now realize, I realize that as we're talking about this, almost everybody's mad now. A bunch of people think that I'm too rebellious and that you should always comply with the government. But do you realize that if the church always complied with the government, there wouldn't be a church? Do you realize that? That there would be no church if the church strictly complied with the government. Now, some people are upset at me for being rebellious. Other people are upset because I'm not taking a strong enough stand. Right? We should all be here now. There's no reason for anyone not to come. The whole coronavirus is a hoax. It's, it's all 5G and the lizard people, right? And it's all some conspiracy. It's all deep state and the pandemic, just all this stuff. And you know what? Whatever side you're on, if you disagree, that's cool. I still love you guys. But this is where I stand. We will comply with the government as long as possible but where our Christian obligations and our civic obligations diverge, we will always be faithful to our Christian obligations. Always. As I said before, now that I've offended two-thirds of you, I'm going to move on to the other third. See if I can get everybody upset today. I want unity. right? That's what we're striving for. Verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, 
but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Those are a strange two verses to be coupled together, aren't they? Doesn't it seem like verse 13 and verse 14 are saying opposite things? Right? No one dared join them, but multitudes joined them. Which one? No one dared or multitudes? Well, I think that something is lost in translation here a little bit. I think that this is what it's saying. That when it talks about the um, none of the rest dare join them. I think it's talking about unbelievers at that point. It's saying that the unbelievers respected the church, but they didn't want to join them. I think that they were afraid of, of losing their status and, and losing their position and, and losing their respectability in the community. But we see that people were becoming believers in large numbers. The unbelievers didn't want to affiliate. But there were a lot of unbelievers who were becoming believers and then affiliating with the church. And I've said this again, or before, I'm going to say it again. In times of trials and persecution, in the midst of hard times, the church historically, that's when it grows the most. In the midst of hard times and trials, there's a, there's a, a, a fervency that develops. There's a passion. There's a refinement when come, that comes when, when the church is attacked. Here's what happens is those who aren't committed, they run away. And those that are committed, they run into the arms of the Lord and they're strengthened. And it's in the midst of these trials that there's, a, that there's a, a, a purity that comes. And it seems like it would be counterintuitive. It seems like the opposite would happen. Right? If you start bombing Walmart, nobody's going to go to Walmart anymore. Right? That's how it works. But when the church is attacked, it strengthens. Just ask the, the hundreds of millions of Christians in China in the underground church. Just ask all the believers who are coming to faith in the Middle East right now. It said that Iran is the fastest growing church in the world right now. Look in, at the things that are going on in Cuba. I don't know if you know, but the underground church in Cuba is just exploding right now. It's like a, a, a lump of coal. That when the right forces and the right pressures are applied for the right amount of time, it becomes a diamond. Right? That's what happens in the church. When, when the church is attacked, it doesn't collapse. It purifies and it strengthens and it becomes something beautiful. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet. I'm not making predictions. I didn't call Miss Cleo. I don't know what's going to happen. But I can read the writing on the wall. And I suspect that there are some hard times coming for the church in the future. And I think that each one of us should ask ourselves what we're going to do if that happens. 
if real persecution comes, not the little trials we have right now, but genuine persecution, if the train cars and the gulags and prison and death come, how will we react? Will we run away? Will we go underground? Will we stand up and get carted away? Those are things that we need to think about. It's scary to think about that, but there's a very real possibility that that could be what our future holds as Christians. And you know, and I know I've said this before, but you know, people in people say all the time, "Oh, this is the United States. We have we have the First Amendment. That can't happen here. You know, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. You know, we we have we have the right to worship. But you know what? Russia had the right to worship. China had the right to worship. Cambodia had the right to worship. Vietnam had the right to worship. All these other countries had the right to worship until they didn't." And it happened fast when it happened. There's no reason to think that just because things are the way they are now, that they're going to continue to be this way forever. So we see here, the church is growing in verse 14. and verse 15, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at last his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is weird to me. People bringing out their sick people on mats, and the shadow of Peter crossing over them, and they're healed. You know, it doesn't fit into my boxes. It reminds me a little bit of, remember Mark chapter 5. Remember the lady who had the issue of blood for 12 years. And she spent all of her time and all of her money and all of her resources going to the doctors and nobody could help her. And then Jesus started his ministry and she said, if only I could touch the hem of Jesus' robe, I would be healed. And remember, she weaves through the crowd, and she finally touches her robe. And remember, Jesus says, who touched me? The disciple said, everyone touched you, Jesus. What do you mean? Everybody's pressing in around you. And he said, no, I, I felt the power go out from me. And the woman had so much faith that when she touched the robe, she was healed. And then some... People who are a lot smarter than me, some theologians call this sort of a, a, a point of contact for people's faith. And, and they'll assert that this is the same thing that was going on in Acts chapter 5 here. When, when they laid people out waiting for, people, for Peter's shadow to cross over them. And their faith was so strong that, that, that Jesus could heal them that they were healed. And I don't know. It could be, or it could be just one of these crazy supernatural things that the Lord does that we just can't fit into a box. We just have to accept it. It's something that we can't copy, something we can't duplicate, something that we just have to say, wow, God is good, and he did some amazing things. 
And I think we just have to kind of leave it at that. And that's that. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Now remember in Acts chapter 4, after they had healed the lame man, remember they were already arrested and questioned, and they were, they were threatened by the, by, the, uh, by the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees. And they were told not to preach anymore. And remember Peter in chapter 4 verse 19 says this, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the guys, they're arrested here again after they've already been told not to keep preaching the gospel. They were supposed to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. But here we find them disobeying the local government and proclaiming the gospel. And it says that the priests and the Sadducees, the leaders, they were jealous. They were jealous of the, of the following that Jesus had. That's why they put him to death. They're jealous of the, of the following that the disciples had. They're, they're losing their, their support base. They're losing their constituency. They're, they're, they're afraid that their status quo is going to be disrupted. And so they arrested the apostles again. And I don't know from the language if it was all 12 of them. If it's just whoever they could gather up, they just sort of cast the net, and whoever they could catch, or if it was just Peter and John again. But we find them in jail again. But in verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I love these verses right here. The Lord delivers his people here. He sends an angel to open up the door and he leads him out of prison. And what does he tell him? He says, look, you guys are free. Now get back to work. You're free. Now go back and proclaim the gospel message. He says, you're free. Now go to the temple and preach. Speak to the people. Give them the word of life. I hope that you get that, church. We as believers, we have the words of life. We have the words of eternal life. Remember John chapter 6? <clears throat> Jesus, he's got... Huge crowds of people gathered around him at this point. And they're all there, you know, and he's been working some miracles. He's been, he's been feeding people with just a little sack lunch, right? Fish and bread, and he multiplies it and feeds the masses. And he's got a, a, a huge crowd of disciples at this point. And he gathers them all together. And he says, all right, guys, here's the deal. If you want to be my disciple... Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everybody's like, whoa. Getting a little crazy, Jesus. Are you going to 
serve Kool-Aid next? You know, what's going on? You know, and the people are a little freaked out. And it says in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And it says many, but as you get further in the text, it's pretty much everybody but the 12. Thousands of people walked away. They didn't get what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand that he was talking about communion. And verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Is this too much for you guys? Are you headed out too? <clears throat> Remember verse 68, my favorite verse, I think, in the entire Bible. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I wonder if here in Acts chapter 5, it seems like the angel is kind of repeating Peter's words there a little bit back to him sort of giving him a little reminder of remember what happened back in John 6. He says, look, Jesus is life, and you know that. Now go and tell everybody else, guys, we have the words of life. We have the word of God. We have the word of God in our hearts as well. We have the truth. Do not, don't dare let it stay just there. Don't let the word of God stay confined to those pages. Don't keep it inside of you. We need to get out <coughs> and to share our faith with those around us. Guys, people are desperate right now. People are hungry for the gospel. Suicides are through the roof right now. People are scared. People are feeling hopeless and helpless and lost. The stats are coming in and, and drug abuse and substance abuse, alcoholism, physical abuse. These things are just, they're, they're, they're going through the roof. People feel hopeless. And we have the answer. We have the hope. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter says, listen, don't be a, don't be a jerk, but be honest with people. Defend your faith and share with people the hope that you have within you. We always need to be ready to share the gospel. We always need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And I hope you guys get this. We have something that the world doesn't have. And a lot of us have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And I think that we... We've grown so accustomed to having hope. And we've grown so accustomed to experiencing the peace of God 
that we forget that the world doesn't have that. The world doesn't have the hope that we have. The world doesn't have the peace that we have. We, we have hope. We know where we're going. We know what the future holds. Maybe not the immediate future. Maybe not next week or next month or next year. But, but we know what eternity holds for us. No matter how rough this life gets. And we have peace in our hearts. That peace of God that, that surpasses all understanding, Paul talks about in Philippians 4. And I, I think that we sometimes forget that the world doesn't have that peace. There are so many people that are, that are scared right now. And feeling hopeless and lost, just adrift. And, and I think there's evidence of that. I mean, we saw... And, and Chino Hills, the church there, they defied the orders and 14,000 people came out. And the church isn't that big. But, but the gospel is being proclaimed and, and people flocked to it. People are searching. Church, let us not be found keeping the hope that we have to ourselves. Let us not be found hiding the light of the gospel. Let us not be found being controlled by the fear of men. Rather, let us be found proclaiming the name of Jesus, no matter what the cost. That's our calling in these difficult times. And I know that everyone here, well, I think, I assume, Everyone here is saved already. But maybe not. And maybe there's people watching online who don't know the Lord. Maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord yet. And maybe, maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about as I'm talking about that, that sense of, of fear and, and desperation and hopelessness. You feel alone. And you're, you feel like you're sinking, you're adrift in the dark. And I want to encourage you this morning to call on the name of Jesus. To turn from your sins, to repent of your sins, and to be born again. Scripture says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I just encourage you to let Jesus save you, to find new life in him, be born again, be filled with the Spirit, and let him give you his hope and his peace. And for the rest of us who know the Lord, go tell somebody. Share the hope that you have with them. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and we're so grateful for, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, Lord. And we pray that you would just give us boldness and courage, Lord, and a sense of urgency to share your gospel with other people. We pray that in your name, Jesus.